Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham. Scott is alongside after a busy week. Hello, Scott. Sean, I'm here. I'm ready for next week. I haven't <laughs> even put up my Christmas tree yet. Boy, uh, I'm too busy watching curling. Yeah, it was a, a very busy week with big events, of course, in Omaha and Estevan. Thanks to everybody who followed with us all week. And if you're just joining us for the first time in our daily coverage, welcome. Uh, this was a, a rather eventful day. We're going to start and go in reverse chron- chronological order of how the day went because the biggest thing to come out of today was this men's final at the Canada Cup and not really the final. The, the final is what it is. Um, we'll certainly talk about it, but the biggest thing to come out of it is what happened in the fifth end, where the Kevin Cooey team used both of their 90-second timeouts, used their clock stop, their 30-second clock stop, and Scott, they still ran out of time. Yeah, Sean, they actually used their 30-second clock stop in the third end, and I think that was confusing to Vic for sure. <laughs> Uh, obviously at you and most of the audience at home, which brings me to the point of like, this timing is too complicated, right? No, uh, it's not. Well, so, but let me just say, even if they gave them another, or if they used it in the third, they gave them one in the fifth end. Kevin Cooey had thrown his second to last rock. So his Kevin Cooey's first, the second to last rock at the end with two seconds on the clock that's when he threw that stone and they gave him another 30 seconds. Yeah. But they had, I, from what I understand, they had called a timeout on his first rock with 11 seconds left. The stock, the clock never stopped that we saw on the, the end board, but the officials were keeping it and it was 11 seconds. And then they called another 90 second timeout, but it wasn't conveyed to the other end. And the official at the, the home end or, or the the end where BJ was standing sort of stepped in and for that reason he couldn't properly call the line for the shot because that official thought time had run out uh, in any event he missed the shot yeah and it's not that he thought he ran out of time he did run out of time the clock was at zero when Kevin Cooey kicked out of the hack yeah but if they had called their 90 second timeout which I'm pretty sure they did then the clock would have started too early no, you know but they I mean? used no. Well, I guess, but I mean, they used they they used two things on Kevin Cooey's first shot and one thing on his second shot. And if they use their clock stop in the third end, as you said, well, then they don't have three things to use. So, so here's why. It, you know, I said earlier in the week, I was like, eh, I don't really care, whatever. Uh-huh. This this is too complicated because if we can't figure it out, we're pretty smart at curling, at least watching it, maybe not talking about it or playing, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> We've watched a lot of curling, and you and I can't even figure this out right now. So, like, what's the point? I would say... I don't know. I feel like I understand exactly what happened. Kevin Cooey stood there on his first shot for five minutes, nearly, talking about it. Make a decision and throw the rock. I Like, I'm sorry that Ben Hebert was mad and that Kevin Cooey, I, I guess, or BJ... 
uh, Newfeld felt as though they were distracted by the official. But the point of the rule is to get the game to go faster. It's to to keep people engaged with it. And I think it worked. Every game this week was under three hours. We don't have those three hour, 15 minute slodge fest where the first four ends are going up and down blank and so they can bank time so they stand around and talk in the second half of the game i the, the games had better pace to them and remarkably scott after the fifth end they played faster the sixth end okay fine they played it up and down it is what it is but cooey played faster after that which is the whole point of the rule and i don't i don't understand what the whole hubbub is about i like watching the game and yes the strategy conversations are interesting but it's not that interesting that i needed a three-minute conversation before every shot no and that's Sean. what that's what it was getting to in some games when people were banking time but if the shots dictate that you need to think about it and talk about it i would rather have somebody have the time to do it rather than just be rushed and miss. You know, I, I don't tune in to see Kevin Cooey miss shots. I tune in to see him make shots. And if he has to talk about them for an extra 30 seconds to a minute and, you know, save time on some, one of Colton Flash's shots, then you know, it's a big deal. So be it. I would rather they be able to make shots. And I think that's what the timing rule here is taking away from. And also, it's not it's not super transparent on TV. Those clocks on the on the scoreboards they're not perfect uh the time is also operated by a person who you know is not perfect i've done timing before it's it's not super easy uh to be engaged for like you have to be super super focused for the entire game and if you miss by a second here or there you know that can happen and you know when it's however many 40 minutes for 10 ends it's not as big a deal when it's four and a half minutes or four minutes 15 for one end you know what i mean mm -hmm. so i i don't know i think we're just getting a, a little too cute here a little too cute for for my take and especially with the five rock rule it's pretty new it's been around two years uh just uh, for eight ends you got to be super engaged the whole time I, just give them a break on this and i'm glad it's not going to be in there for the nationals this year based on the feedback from this week we'll see what it is going forward um, but you know, it's, I don't tune in to watch Kevin Cooey like scramble against the clock. And I know, okay, I, I know he plays long, but he plays, he plays within... slow. He rushes the 10th end anyway. Like he, he's always rushing at the end of the game regardless. So if, if this can keep it going and, and you say like, and, and Brendan Botcher had a quote this week where he said that he felt that this was rushing the wrong part of the game. And my feeling is you know, as somebody who plays the front end, you should be able to get the first three rocks thrown in in terms of the, the, the amount of time that that clock is going in probably 15 to 20 seconds. You really should be able to do that as the front end. And so what we're, we're talking about in terms of rushing, the front end needs to be better. The, the last two shots, and you saw it at the end of the game, where there was between two and a half and three minutes for each skip to throw their two rocks, which when you fail, when you have the timeouts and such, that's enough time yeah. in, in a game to play. So the adjustment that needs to be made for me is on the front end guys and the discussions that happen. Like I, 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 I get frustrated 
playing sometimes and not just with you but with other people as well who yell down a lot like when you're the front end like shut up <laughs> like just really just throw the rock unless you're asked what you think and jacob's made that point in the fifth end break and by the way he completely avoided answering yes. kathy coche's question which was awesome i know um, yeah. but he made a really good point i thought when he said that the discussion they had was let me call the game and just don't say anything unless i ask you and if i ask you be clear and concise and then we'll play it and i, I think that's the adjustment that needs to be made and then at the back end of the end, you'll have enough time to get those shots in. And what we need to do, this is too small of a sample size to go off of this week, but we've seen it at a Grand Slam. And I have to say that there wasn't as much of a hue and cry about it at the Elite 10 when they did it. And you could argue that the Elite 10 has more complicated ends because it's that skin style with the match play and nobody got upset about it then. So I don't know. I realize this is a more high profile event. Probably more people are watching it and that would lead to this, but the old system wasn't working. So we had to try something. I know Danny Lamoureux from curling Canada said they're going to crunch the numbers in terms of blank ends and the scoring. And if this did affect scoring this week, I'll be curious to see how that turns out. But, I say kudos to Curling Canada for trying something. I agree that adjustments need to be made, but for all the stuff I'm seeing online about saying just go back to the old one, the old one wasn't working. So let's let's try and make the game more appealing. Um, that's that's what you think. I think it was fine. I the games were long, so cut down the amount of time that you get for the whole game if you want to do that before you go to this sort of uh, end by end. I know when we talked about it in the summer in our rule changes, I was a little reluctant on it uh, to go end by end. But if you had if you had something where maybe the skips were in charge of the time, as you had suggested with your chess style clock, or the time was like a little more apparent um, to, to the people watching on TV, because that, that's the thing, like, oh, how much time do they have? I don't even think Vic knew. Uh, the clock was sometimes working, sometimes wasn't. There were some definite kinks to work out. So, you know, uh, at the end of the day, Sean, he threw his draw too heavy, and yes. it didn't really matter. But uh, no. but you talked about Brad Jacobs and how they approached this. Brad Jacobs was the most I've seen him in a long time. Yep. Uh, he was very confident with his calls. Uh, I think having Mark Kennedy there really, really helped the team. And uh, they come off... Winning, I know both of us before the week started said, "Whoa, I wonder how it'll fit in." Uh, I was a little more skeptical than you, but I mean, wow, they—he was—he he looked like he was having fun curling, and I, I haven't seen that in a long time. No, that—that's absolutely true. He was, as you say, decisive. He was clear. He knew what he wanted to do. When they had the conversations, the few times they did, they, they went back and forth, and it—and and I noticed a change in the Harndons as well. In more so EJ, Ryan's pretty quiet, generally speaking, but when they would come down for those team conversations, it would always default to, Brad, what do you see mm -hmm. and what do you want? And Mark Kennedy was really good about fostering that to say, what do you see? All right, we're throwing that. And then that was the end of the discussion. So when Mark Kennedy 
needed to step in. It was more to end conversations, I felt, yeah, yeah. than to do anything else. And really just giving his full support to Brad Jacobs doesn't hurt when he throws 95% in the final either. Uh, you know, that, that in addition to his personality, uh, his shooting prowess certainly helped them this week as well. But a, a huge change with this team. You know, they still had that energy. They were still fired up. They still had some big, you know, come-ons and, and that kind of thing. And uh, there was one shot in the first half of the game where EJ had thrown it and was right in Mark Kennedy's ear <laughs> about <laughs> sweeping it and trying to finish it. Uh, and I think uh, Vic made a joke about Archie picked up the phone <laughs> for that call. Uh, but, you know, that that's just who they are. But it was much more under control this week, and the results... <laughs> bear that out yeah sean they it, i mean uh, you can't argue with the results i did hear i think russ say on the broadcast boy it looks like uh the 2014 olympic brad jacobs out here he's playing lights out and yeah playing lights out and uh, you know coming away with a big win here yeah and you know good luck uh with matt wasniak right <laughs> who's coming in yeah tuesday uh, tuesday, uh, tuesday third? Yeah. oh yeah. boy yeah. Good luck, Matt, uh, trying to follow up with uh, Mark. Now, to be fair, uh, he's going to play second and EJ is going to play third next weekend. But, you know, it's it's a bit of a change there. Mm-hmm. It's uh, um, pretty different, yeah. Yeah, so let's let's talk briefly then about what we saw out of the Kevin Cooey team. We, we talked about the issue in the fifth that I, I will note, too. Uh, I don't know who has to pay the fine for, <laughs> for, for Benny, uh, but someone's paying a fine on that. And uh, it was pretty loud, pretty clear. I, I thought it was interesting that he went over to Mark, too. Yeah. And uh, was like, hey, this is what happened. And and then Ryan or EJ Harden said something uh, as Ben was sort of explaining and, and being frustrated. He said, well, how is that our fault? Even and, even uh, Mark Kennedy said, well, what do you want us to do, Benny? Give you a deuce? Like, what yeah. <laughs> and I believe he threw, he threw it was, heavy. And I believe the response was, no, I don't want you to give us a fucking deuce. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It was just like that was wrong and this and then. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, it must have been EJ who just goes, well, it's not our fault. Uh, or no, he said, how is that our fault? Yeah. And Benny was just like, well, it's not. And then that was sort of the end of that conversation. Uh, but uh, on the the Cooey side, you know, you, you on your personal Instagram said that you felt as though Cooey was sort of discombobulated after that, didn't quite have it together. And Colton Flash, sort of the, the same. BJ Newfeld is a quiet guy, but you heard Ben Hebert out there I really like Ben Hebert. I've I've only interacted with him a couple times at media events that I've been at, but he was really positive. And with with Mark Kennedy gone from this team, it's clear that he has to be more vocal, which is weird to say about Ben Hebert to say that he has to be more vocal, but more sort of that chatter, keeping people up. You heard it in the ninth end a couple times that he said, you know, we just need to force here. That's all we need. Uh, they ended up stealing. We could talk about that decision, but. This team dynamic, it does feel like, and they mentioned it on the broadcast a few times, that they're still feeling each other out and trying to figure out who fits where and what the best dynamic is going to be for these four moving forward because the the as you go down the lineup, the, the players get quieter and quieter. So figuring out that will be essential to their success. They're all really good players. I think they'll get there. But we saw yesterday and today that they're not, quite as seamless as the team last year was which is to be expected yeah sean absolutely they're gonna you know have their growing pains we saw when 
Kevin Cooey picked up Hebert and Kennedy and Brent Lang that they went through a bit of growing pains there in their first year. So I'm not too concerned. Uh, you know, they won the World Cup. They uh, made the final here. Uh, they, they've played well in other slams. So not not too too worried about this team. But, uh, you know, we'll see how it is going forward. Uh, they're going to have to qualify out of Alberta, very tough Alberta this year. Uh, I, I think they're the favorite, but, you know, the team botcher is going to have something to say about it, as is, uh, who am I thinking of, Sean? Karsten Sturman. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you know, the, they did look checked out of that game. He looked pretty down after the timing problems in the first half. Second half, they mentioned on the broadcast there that it looked like they were starting the conversation about what the next shot will be earlier. Yep. Really helped uh, helped with their time. So something to learn. They learn from yeah. this and, and move forward. Yeah, it's those little things that you can do to, to pick up the game. I say this all the time at the club level. If you have a player who adds 10 seconds per shot, which in the moment doesn't seem like a lot. like It's a little thing like not cleaning your rock before the shot is called. So a lot of people, and I don't know why this is, but so many people will wait. The skip calls the shot, and then they flip over the rock to clean it and throw it. That can add 5, 10 seconds. So if you do that every time, 10 seconds you play, 8 ends, full game, that's 10 seconds on 16 shots. That's you know two and a half minutes that you've just added to the game unnecessarily. Yeah. And if everybody does that, that's 15 minutes. Yeah, that you're no. adding to a game. So it's those little things that you can get done. And with these guys, yeah, you can get that conversation going a little earlier. I know Jennifer Jones does this a lot where she has Caitlin Laws stay down while the other team is discussing or throwing. And then as the other team throws, Caitlin Laws can go back. So those sorts of little things, those adjustments will help the game move along. Yeah, no doubt. They're, uh, uh, they're feeling this out still, and I don't really have much else. I'll just say about All that. Right. Well, uh, yeah, so congratulations to Brad Jacobs and their squad there. We were actually wrong on our preview, Scott, that in terms of what was at stake here. We thought that the winner of this was going to get the spot in the Continental Cup, which has been the case in the past, but not this year. It will be Kevin Cooey and Brad Gushu, the Canadian representatives down in Las Vegas. But Brad Jacobs does get that guaranteed spot in the pre-trials because... I'm sure they would have been sweating that out otherwise. Well, Sean, they also get a spot in next year's uh, Curling World Cup, one of those events. So uh, that guarantees they will be sent by Curling Canada to the Curling World Cup next season. So and talking paycheck there, yeah. And speaking of the Curling World Cup, eh? Yeah, eh? nice segue, buddy. Oh. Good job. Professional. Very professional. Let's... Uh, <laughs> All right, so as we continue to go chronologically here, we'll go to the men's final between the United States, John Schuster and Nicholas Adin of Sweden, a rematch of last year's gold medal game from Korea at the Olympics and uh, played in front of a crowd of 75 of these people's closest <laughs> family and friends out there in Omaha. Actually, it was a little more than that, but uh, not a huge crowd for this game, and uh, they didn't really miss much uh, until about the fifth or sixth end. Yeah, Sean, pretty uh, pretty defensive game here, uh, which you kind of expect that uh, from Team Schuster playing against one of the best in the world. 
Uh, they did mix it up there in the second half of the game a little bit more. Uh, but Nicholas Adin and Oscar Erickson today, they were just that bit off and uh, just enough to give the USA the win, I would say. Uh, John Schuster played really, really, really well. Uh, Chris Pies was probably the weak, weak link of their team. I saw we were watching there um, this afternoon and he missed uh, just like he was just missing like the, the other side of the inch, you know, getting uh, three out of four on those or two out of four. Uh, on his shots and uh, but you know what uh, Sweden wasn't able to capitalize they gave him a steal in the seventh instead of uh, instead of uh, get, getting one and going tied so yeah I, I mean it didn't really work out for them in the end and uh, congratulations to the USA on home soil yes so so a good job by them Chris Pies was the low man in the game at 73% Nicholas Adin was at 75% and that there was a couple moments that really shifted here. The fifth end, Nicholas Dean was set up to score big. They were set up for three or four, and then in a blink of an eye, mm-hmm. uh, you know, through, uh, I believe it was Chris Pies' first shot, makes it, and then all of a sudden, Oscar Erickson misses, and then it, uh, and then Nicholas Dean has to throw against two or three. And it was this, it just happened so fast that you looked away and you're like, all right, they're going to get at least two probably more, and then all of a sudden you're there and he has to draw against one. They get the force in six, and then we're in seven, and Nicholas Dean is facing two American Stones. And with the five-rock rule, this is now a legitimate discussion that teams are having. We saw it at the Masters, I believe it was, where a couple teams intentionally gave up steals to go down to with the hammer because you could score three, and in both cases it worked. Kevin Cooey and Anna Hasselberg. Uh, both scored three in the last end to win the game. So this is so Nicholas Adin takes the run at the double to get the blank. That I believe that's what the call was, or I, I could be mistaken that uh, for what Brad Jacobs did. And e- either way, he gives up a steal and is content to give up the steal to retain the hammer and take your chances at getting that three. So so the mentality now, Scott, appears to be. That it's easier to score three than it is to yeah to steal to score three with the hammer than it is to steal one. Yeah, this uh, is insane to me, Sean. Um, the, I I looked I, I after Jacobs did that in the ninth end, I was scouring the internet looking for where's the stats to back this up. Where are they? I looked on Curling Zone. The analytics are all from the last four seasons. Uh, I don't know if it includes this season or not, but from what I can read. If you two points without the hammer, as Jacobs would have been, it's an 89% chance to win. And tied with the hammer is only 75% chance to win. So I don't know if there's different numbers. Uh, like, I'd like to see them. I'd like to read the reports uh, because it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? You, you'd think it would be much easier to steal one point than have to get three points. You would think so. Yes, and the numbers have borne this out for years. Even with the four-rock rule, teams would always say that you'd almost want to be down one with the hammer rather than one up without, but the numbers didn't bear that out. No. And it seems to me that this is just a continuation of that where teams are incredibly confident in their ability, which is you should be confident if you're out there at that level, and they think that they can score those three because – when you have the hammer, you're more in control 
of what's going on. You're throwing last, and I think the sentiment is that you're going to have that shot to win or lose, and you want that in your control. When you're stealing, just by nature, because you're not throwing the last rock, you're leaving it up to the, to the other team. And I get the sense that teams don't want to feel as though they need a miss from the other team to win the game. They feel as though the other teams are so good that they'll make those shots. Yeah, but so the other teams are we so, have it in our control. The other teams are so good that getting three, you're going to need a miss, right? Like, and even to get two, you're going to need a miss. It's, it's. I don't know. Uh, I would like to see the numbers because uh, in, in my mind, it, it doesn't work. And what we learned was that, yeah, being down one with the hammers, not as good. Um, even though you might think it is. So I'd like to see what the numbers say on that. I'd like to see what Anna Hasselberg would have done because they're the right. most up-to-date teams with the numbers. Yeah, but again, they did score three down two to win the Masters. They did, but but they got so, like mean, a lot of help from Rachel Holman. Yeah, I mean, but but so it, we need a, more a bigger sample size. The numbers from everything before this year, with the exception of the grand slams don't really matter it's no, a exactly. different game now so we'll, we'll see what those numbers bear out as we go forward but overall not the most interesting of games there between the united states and sweden and congratulations to john schuster and their squad picking up the big win and the spot in the grand final in beijing so let's move on scott to the women's final at the Canada Cup, as we continue our reverse chronologic order, game between Carrie Anderson and Jennifer Jones that, uh, you know, I mean, it was okay. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I watched this, and I got to say, Scott, I never felt as though Jennifer Jones was in danger. No, you're right. Uh, she felt like It felt like she had control of the game the whole time. Uh the the big end was that uh, that shot that run back that she made in the ninth end right for three yeah because otherwise she's drawing for one and you know taking her chance uh, up one in the tenth without which you know is usually something that uh, is okay to to win but uh, she makes that amazing run back and you could see the look on Carrie Anderson's face like oh geez here we go again look out <laughs> so i know we talked last night about oh Carrie Anderson has Jennifer Jones number and you know they were battling uh, it was it was pretty close i guess uh, up to that point up to the ninth end i mean it was it was tied but uh but yeah i mean she popped that 3 and boom there you go that's the game yeah and that shot was amazing that was a long corner guard that she had to run back to pick off a Carrie Anderson stone and she made it perfectly and and you know sometimes when people say we well, got to hit it on the nose you know it's not exactly on the nose but that one had to be right dead on the nose and she made it absolutely perfectly so much so that Caitlin Laws had a broom in the air pretty much when Jennifer Jones hit the guard yeah like she knew that she had hit it right in that perfect spot to make the three uh, and then they were just able to run them out of stones there in the 10th end. But one of the things we said last night, Scott, was Carrie Anderson was winning these games in situations where there was less pressure and that we wanted to see how she would do in a final. And she was the low player today at 70%, Val Sweeting at 78%, and, you know, Caitlin Laws was at 81 so not a huge disparity there. But when you throw 70%, 
as the skip against Jennifer Jones. You're not going to win a lot of games. Yeah, and it and it really did come down to those shots by Kerry Anderson. Looking at the team percentages overall, their team was 84 to the Jones team at 83, uh, and that's because the front end played really well. But yeah, if you're gonna not make your shots at the end of the day, it's uh, it's pretty tough to be the team of Jennifer Jones caliber. And I think when this team came together, when they announced it in the summertime, I was pretty vocal about not trusting Carrie Anderson to throw the last rock. She always seems to miss in big situations. Uh, and, you know, she had proved me wrong for the fall, and I was buying into this team being pretty good. And we saw them play really well all week. But it's that big moment again, you know, that big spotlight on TSN. And uh, today she wasn't able to handle it. No, she definitely was not. Uh, so... We'll see what happens moving forward. Again, that Manitoba playdown will be uh, a lot of fun. A lot of teams in the mix, even without Jennifer Jones being there. Uh, there will be a lot of squads vying. And it's important to remember, too, that if Rachel Holman doesn't win Ontario, only one spot will be available in that wild card game. So with all these teams maneuvering for position through the rest of the cash league or the cash circuit for the season – that Manitoba playdown becomes even more important and see what happens when we get into January. Yeah, Sean, absolutely. Uh, it's going to be a real dogfight out there in the, uh, in the prairies. Sure. Well, so, uh, so let's move on to the curling world cup women's final, which was played earlier this afternoon between the Koreans and the Japanese, a rematch of the Pacific Asia curling championship from a few weeks ago. And for most of the game, it looked like we would have a repeat of what happened there with Team Kim winning. And then out of nowhere, uh, Japan and Suzuki Fujisawa win the game. Or was it more that the Koreans lost, Scott? Sean, the Koreans lost this game. That's that's pretty easy to say. Uh, they, they really choked. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard for me to put a lot of blame on a 19 year old playing at a huge event and, you know, just coming out heavy and, and throwing a, a heavy draw through the house there in the eighth end. Cause that's what happened. And that's what happens when you're young and you're nervous and, you know, you get that adrenaline pumping and you push out a little too hard, but you know, they, they that's, that's choking, right? Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah. as, as poorly I, as Fujisawa played, which was also pretty bad. Uh, there, she played 72%. Uh, uh, Yoshida the third was at 66. Um, you know, the, the skip for team Korea, uh, Kim Minji, 69% for the game. And, uh, you know, that's not going to do it. No. And if you look at those numbers though, the, the breakdown is actually kind of interesting here for Suzuki Fujisawa. She throws 72%, as you say, she was at 33% on three intern takeouts. So mm. if you take out those three shots, she had a much better game than that. So just sort of a weird anomaly with the outturn takeout today. And then with Kim Minji, as you say, it was that last rock that she sails through. Uh, by the way, perfect rock placement for Suzuki Fujisawa. Yep. Forcing that draw. And she absolutely put it in a place where if you could walk the stone down the ice, just in the, the top eight foot where she couldn't have hit either Japanese stone. She had to draw. And if you, but if you look at, at, at 
Kim Minji's Min numbers on her intern draws, and that last rock was an intern draw, she threw 83% for the game. So, you know, for her going into the hack, that's probably the shot she wanted given, you know, she was 50% on her hits today. That's what she wanted. And, you know, I'm just reminded of talking to Jim Cotter last year at the trials when mm. he made a, a draw to win the game. And I said, you know, how do you do that? You know, all the, everyone's on you, the cameras are on you, and you know you got to put it in a very small space to win the game. And he said, you just got to do it. Like, you just have to do it. Yep. You have to get used to it. It, it. It's hard. You know, you got to learn to control any emotions, control your breath, try and keep your heart rate down, and that just takes time. And as you mentioned, young team over there in Korea, and it, it'll be fun to see how the Korean, how Korean curling moves forward with these two teams that they have now, the two different Kim teams. Obviously, there was the issue with the other Kim team that there sort of has been resolved with some resignations from the association, but two really good Korean teams here that we'll see if they they have a situation now like we're seeing with the men in Scotland, for instance, who are battling back and forth four spots in these type of events. Yeah, that, that could be the case, Sean. And uh, from all reports are that uh, with the success of the team in the Olympics, they've uh, seen registration in curling uh, really boom in Korea. And so, you know, maybe in 15, 20 years, we could see Korea as the dominant team in the Pacific Asia, if they're not already. But uh, we saw China sort of take that mantle at first and then Japan come come along you know, after some years where Australia and New Zealand were getting teams into the world championships. So, you know, uh, we could see Korea there as, as the next uh, next country. We could, but but don't sleep on the Chinese with the Olympic Games in Beijing. They're yeah. going to go full out for all the medals that they can, and certainly curling will get a renewed focus for, for uh, China, excuse me, that, uh, you know, we, we saw Bing Yu Wang, and, you know, she might be on the backside of her career. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. But certainly the Chinese will put up a fight in the Pacific Asia region. Uh, so good congratulations to Suzuki Fujisawa in this game. Uh, it's it's tough. You know, you give up a four in the second end and you just got to battle all the way back. And even though the Koreans, you had that last shot, not great. And, you know, you, you as a skip, you should be able to hit full eight foot to win a game but Tatsuki Fujisawa put her last shots in the absolute perfect spot so all credit to them for a win and they earn their spot into the grand final in China which leaves us now Scott with one game left to talk about early this morning the mixed doubles final between Norway and Switzerland and this game well uh, it was interesting to watch uh, I'll take your word for it, Sean. I I, I slept <laughs> in this morning. Uh, the long week finally caught up to me, but I did put it on once I woke up. I, I put on the replay, and uh, Switzerland they jumped out to a four nothing lead there in the first end, and then after that, Norway played lights out. Uh, yes, Magnus Nedergrotten curled eighty nine percent, and Kristen Skaslian at eighty percent, which for mixed doubles like is insane. You know, we, yeah. we talked about that before, that high 70s is is very, very, very good for mixed doubles. And to get anything in the 80s, you're you're playing pretty, pretty, pretty well. And 
taking into consideration that first end uh, where they missed a couple shots and allowed Switzerland to score their four. You know, you sort of might have thought, oh boy, look out, uh, it's going to be a long day at the office. But no, they come, uh, Norway comes right back, uh, pedal to the metal. They're putting pressure on Switzerland. Switzerland's getting some bad misses. Uh, the sixth end, they can't capitalize on their power play. They had a chance to get two and miss the last shot. Yep. And uh, then Norway comes out and pops a four spot in the seventh, and that's handshakes, you know. If, if Switzerland's able to get their two in sixth, then it's a tie game. Uh, at 6-6 going into the seventh end and things get interesting, right? But, uh, yeah, it was just a lack of execution there after the first end by Switzerland and Norway playing really, really well. Yeah, so kind of interesting that the two teams today at the currently World Cup that scored four is both lost. Sort of a weird anomaly there. But we talked yesterday about the difference between the power plays for these two teams that the Swiss had not been very effective with their power play. The Norwegians had Mm -hmm. now the Norwegians used there in the seventh end more as a defensive measure, which accounts for the the four because the Swiss were playing very aggressively there, but the Swiss only get the one in the sixth end using their power play. And Jenny Perret had a shot for multiple and the dynamic between her and Martin Rios was they seemed angry at each other. Yeah, uh, I, I have to say, they're you know particularly Jenny seemed very frustrated with what was going on, and the the team dynamic there wasn't off and, and or was off, excuse me, which kind of makes sense when you give up steals in three consecutive ends after you score four in the first. So, you know, it's not all that surprising to me once once you know you get in your head like that, you get frustrated, especially in such a short game where you don't really have time to take a breath, maybe walk away or do whatever it is you need, that it, it snowballs like that. And, you know, all credit to the Swede, or the, the Norwegians, as you say, they shot really, really well. But a really uncharacteristic game from this Swiss team, which we know is very good and, and arguably the best mixed doubles team in the world. Oh, yeah, Sean. Uh, one of, if not the best. So it was a good matchup there, and... Norway really earned it. They really, really earned it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, like with the Japanese women and the American men, they also earn their place in the grand final in Beijing, China. That will be happening, I believe, at the end of April. That's right. So, yeah, so the next one for the Curling World Cup is happening over there in Sweden, in I believe late January, early February, I'm pretty sure it matches up with the the skins game that will be played over on TSN. So yes. you might have to do some more double duty on that one there, Scotty. In uh, Yun Coping. Yes. Uh, which we tried to say in the summer and we couldn't do it. Well, I've probably just messed it up again, but whatever. <laughs> Sean, uh, before we go, real quick, let me recap our uh, our picks. And yes. update everyone on the year-to-date standings. Yeah, so what we did today is we went through and uh, I went and made sure that we had the right picks written down for each of our events that we picked so far. And you've created a spreadsheet so that we will be completely 100% uh, transparent with who is in the lead for each of these events. And for this one, of course, we had a lot of picks to make for this week. Yeah, Sean. So I'll go through Canada Cup and World Cup really quickly. 
Um, for the Canada Cup on the men's side, I got one point uh, for picking Gushu to make the playoffs. I missed on – oh, actually, I got two points. Oops. Already I, I messed it up. Uh, oh, no, I get one point because I had Brendan Botcher as well, and he missed the playoffs but made the tiebreaker. Uh, right. as well as John Epping. Uh, you also had Botcher, but you also picked Kui and Gushu, so you get two on that side. All right, and um, I believe I had Botcher to win. You did have Botcher to win, that's right. Uh, neither, neither of us got the winners right in this event. Over on the women's side, we both had Holman and Jones, uh, but you picked Anderson and I picked Scheidegger, so I get two points, you get three. Uh, so after the Canada Cup, our standings for the season... Are, I have 31 points and you have 34 points. All right. So you're up three. All right. That's pretty good. And looking at the World Cup, uh, the men's leg, I got one point for picking Sweden to get into that final. But, Sean, you you picked it uh, perfect. You had USA beating Sweden. USA all the way, man. Home ice advantage. That's two events in a row for me where I've just picked the home team, if you count Brad Jacobs is a home team in Thunder Bay, which is maybe stretching it a little bit. Oh boy. But yeah, it's uh, it's worked out well for me. Yeah, so you run the table there and get uh, three big points and uh, to my one. Uh, the women's side, uh, let's just uh, maybe gloss over that. We had Sweden against Russia, both of us, and uh, neither of those teams made it in, so no points there. Mixed double side, Sean, you had Canada against the USA in the final. Uh, sorry. And uh, I'd picked Switzerland over Norway, so I almost had it there. After that first end, it was looking pretty good. But I get to two points for picking both teams to make the final. Okay. So that comes to an even split, three points each in the World Cup, and we're still three points apart. I'm at 34, and you're at 37. Okay. So that's uh, those are some pretty big numbers. We've done not terrible. Uh, yeah, I don't know how it, how I added them all up, but... Yeah. Okay, well, all right, good enough. Um, so we'll be back with more picks coming up, Scott, believe it or not, tomorrow night. What? <laughs> I know. We thought we would do daily for this event, which which I, I've enjoyed, and I, I've had a good time doing it. I forgot that there's the Conception Bay event happening. Uh, it's kicking off Tuesday night, which is... Yeah, I mean it's in Newfoundland, so it's really Tuesday afternoon for everybody else. Um, but Sean, there's so change. so I'm looking at the schedule for Conception Bay. Jacobs is playing Tuesday night. Uh, Yannick Schwaller, who was at the Curling World Cup, is playing Tuesday night. Also Fujisawa, Jamie Sinclair, uh, Chelsea Carey, and uh, Jason Gunlickson are teams that played this past weekend and are playing Tuesday night. Like, whoo, quick turnaround, quick turnaround, quick turnaround. But but fortunately, Scott, we all know that uh, Air Canada does run the five-time daily flight between Omaha and Conception Bay. So it's a really easy trip for those teams well, to have to make that. And It's at least three stops. It has to be at least three stops. No, it's just a flight to St. John's. It's, yeah, it's, but, you're, but, but from Omaha. Oh, yeah. Omaha, Toronto. I, uh, I think there's direct. And then uh, Toronto to YYT. Definitely direct. Okay, and it's going to be at least two flights for the folks coming from Estevan as well. There's a there. The, what worries me is there's a big storm coming. Uh, I I believe for Newfoundland, or it might have been this weekend. But uh, I'm looking at the the TAF right now. It's windy out there. 
It's windy out there. What a shock. Oh, boy. Windy in Newfoundland. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Next thing you're going to tell me that there's fog. Uh, There's going to be flurries for sure. (laughs) Yes. No fog this time of year. Yeah, well, safe travels to all the teams. Hopefully it does start. Hopefully the event does start on Tuesday night. Um, You know, but if no one's there, I guess nobody has to forfeit if we want to look at it that way. Uh, But we will be back with you tomorrow night. Scheduled to be recording at the Ottawa Curling Club tomorrow night. Uh, we'll be recording, I think, around 9 o'clock-ish, depending on what time we get off the ice, but we'll be there to preview the event in Conception Bay. We're going to do it a little differently from the way we normally do it because we've talked about all these teams who are playing ad nauseum for the past few days. So we're going to change up the style of our previews, but we'll still do our picks, and we might see if there's been any fallout or announcements from the action today as everybody tries to come to grips with the timing rules. That'll be a lot of stories written about that. Devin Hurrow has already tweeted that he's writing about it, uh, in addition to the stuff that's already been written at TSN and CBC and and elsewhere. So we'll see what the reaction is uh, anecdotally around the club tomorrow night. Uh, But we will be there to preview the whatever it's called. What event is it? I don't even know. I can't remember. I just know it's the Conception Bay event. Sean, it's the Boost National Oh, great. So everybody gets free smoothies? I drink a boost for breakfast or for dessert. And that is a Kanye West lyric. So ah, very there nice. you go. Um, all right. Well, uh, thanks to everybody for joining us for our daily coverage. Let us know if you enjoyed this as much as we, I think, enjoyed doing it. And we'll see if we can set something up similar for other major events as we move into the new year with the Scotties, Briars, World Champion, all that kind of stuff. We'll see you know, what you all think in terms of how this worked. Uh, but yeah, do get in touch and let us know. If you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, all the places. Uh, give us a rating, comment, all that stuff to uh, help boost the numbers. You can follow us on Twitter at Game of Stones Pod. Same handle for Instagram, you can find Scott at Scott Lakes TV. I am at Dr. Shawnee Fever, and you can email the show at, as always, at Game of Stones Podcast at gmail.com. So, Scott, thank you for coming along on this five day journey of curling excess. Right on, Sean. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm going to sleep, sleep fast and sleep hard tonight. All right. Enjoy yourself. And uh, thanks, everyone, again, for joining us over the weekend. Enjoy your Sunday night, Monday morning, or whenever you're listening to this. And we'll be back with you soon. But until then, keep your brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final.